I guess I don't need to say children may be dismissed to junior church. Thank you, children. We're going to be going to Proverbs 1.8 here in just a moment. So if you want to turn there, I'm going to grab my water because for some reason this morning, I feel like I've needed it. I just don't like water. I like coffee and Coca-Cola, not water. Anyways, Proverbs 1.8 here in a moment. Today's Mother's Day. And so again, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. And in a way to emphasize and introduce Mother's Day, I thought I would share uh, two illustrations from action movies because we know mothers love action movies. So we'll use action movies to move into the Mother's Day sermon. The first is um, the really, really great Christian movie Tombstone. I'm just kidding. It's not a, <laughs> I'm not endorsing the movie. First is Tombstone. And the reason is, have you ever noticed when somebody who you think is strong is actually weak? And the person you think is weak is actually strong. The very beginning or so, maybe the first 20, 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of Tombstone, there's a guy played by Billy Bob Thornton taking a saloon, I guess it is. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. I guess I'll have to watch it again. Um, But I heard the illustration, thought it was good. He's in this saloon and nobody else would come because he's just being a bully. And Wyatt Earp by Kurt Russell goes in and confronts the guy. And the guy who they thought was strong was not that strong. When confronted by Wyatt Earp, again in the movie, not in real life, this isn't real life, he just kind of pistol whips him, which Wyatt Earp would kind of always do, just in a light way probably, you know. He was a nice guy. And says, are you going to draw that gun? You're just going to stand there and, and talk. And he wouldn't draw the gun. He wouldn't do anything. And he goes, runs out, you know, Bleeding. Are you, actually, that's what he says. You just kind of stand there and bleed. And so the person that was thought to be strong was actually weak. And the person who they didn't know about yet, Wyatt Earp, was actually the strong one. It's a really good gospel illustration with that as well, by the way. Another movie, good action, another action movie is Gladiator. And this does have a purpose. I want to ask you, what's in a name? Because in Gladiator, likewise, they thought he became, and many of you have seen the movie. If you don't, I'm not endorsing it. (laughs) There's some good themes in it. Gladiator is a story set in AD 180. Gladiator tells a story of General Maximus Decimus Murtius, played by Russell Crowe, who was about to be given reigning authority in Rome by the aging emperor Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius is dying, and he wants to give the emperorship of Rome over to one of his top general. Before this could take place, however, the emperor's son Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, killed his father in order to establish himself on the throne. He then ordered the murder of Maximus, the general, and his whole family. Maximus escaped, and the movie follows him as he is sold into slavery, and he becomes a nameless gladiator. He finally seeks justice against wicked Emperor Commodus, who did kill his entire family. The turning point comes late in the movie. After Maximus wins a great battle in the Colosseum, Emperor Commodus, who we would think was strong, but actually was weak, Emperor Commodus 
decides to meet this unknown gladiator face to face. He does not know who this unknown gladiator is. He does not know that it's the general that he had ordered killed, who is now the famous gladiator. He wants to meet him face to face. The crowd watches as the emperor in full pomp strides with his soldiers onto the sands of the Colosseum. Soldiers all around him. The emperor asks a simple question. What is your name? Maximus, streaked with blood and dirt from the battle, takes off his helmet, turns around, and says, My name is Maximus Decimus Murdius. Commander of the armies of the north, general of the Phoenix legions, loyal servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. The crowd erupts with a deafening roar, while the emperor visibly shakes because he's the weak one, visibly shakes under the weight of the true identity of a man he thought was a mere slave. The emperor flees the Colosseum, only to face defeat and death later at the hands of Maximus. What's in a name? That does not come from a chick flick, I know. It comes from an action movie. But it does make the point, the name, and certainly at Philippians 2, 5 through 11, at the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, a name represents who Jesus is. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That is the most important thought on a name. But mothers have always had such an impact on a child's life. Mothers have always had such an impact even on an adult's life. Mothers have always had that impact on society in general. So my theme today is listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. And I want to look at Proverbs 1.8 first, then we're going to go to a few other passages. But Proverbs 1.8, written in a patriarchal society, a male-dominated society, a male-led society. I'm hearing like static from this monitor, Billy, so I don't know if it's a tornado outside or... <laughs> I don't think it could be this one. I don't know. So as long as you're not hearing it, I guess it's okay. Proverbs 1.8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Look at that. The very beginning of the book of Proverbs, which is made up of Proverbs, right? Not one proverb, numerous proverbs, many proverbs. The very beginning, hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. For they, the teaching, the teaching from your mother, the teaching from your father, the teaching, they are a graceful garden for your head and pinnace for your neck. Isn't that interesting? Hear your father's instruction. Forsake not. Do not forsake. Do not neglect your mother's teaching. Let's begin by talking about the influence of mothers. This passage was written in a day, as I've said a little bit about, when women were not or seemed to not have the value of men in society, right? That's a fairly established fact that in that day and age, women, uh, it was a patriarchal society. That's, that's a proof of the gospel that later on, the first witnesses to the empty tomb were women. But now this in Proverbs was about six, seven hundred, probably more like even nine hundred years before Christ. The society was male-dominated. It was patriarchy. 
And though I am for men stepping up in society, that is not to be at the expense of mothers and women. As I talk about mothers today, understand that I'm not only meaning the biological mothers. God has used many maternal influences in your lives and in our lives who are not necessarily our mothers. And God has used you, whether you have biological children or not, to impact many, many, many others in a maternal way. And that's a good thing. So in this passage, Proverbs 1.8, mothers are included right alongside the father. It seems as though they are listed as equals. As equals. As we read through Proverbs, we see the mother's teaching expressed. Actually, I want you to turn to another passage or just listen. 1 Kings 2.19. 1 Kings 2.19. King Solomon is taking the throne of ancient Israel. And in 1 Kings chapter 2.19, chapter 2, verse 19, it's a powerful passage. A passage, it's so easy to just glance over and miss the significance of this, by the way. Just like it's so easy to miss the significance of Proverbs 1.8, right? How many times do we just miss the significance that right there, mothers are included right alongside fathers? 1 Kings 2.19, when Bathsheba, Bathsheba went to King Solomon. Bathsheba is Solomon's mother, one of the wives of King David. And when Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, the king stood up to meet her, bowed down to her, and sat down on his throne. He had a throne brought for the king's mother, and she sat down at his right hand. You realize how powerful that is? Here... In ancient Israel, around 900, maybe 850, 850 to 900 BC, 800, 900 years before Jesus. What is that? Roughly 2,900 to 3,000 years ago. Here he's having a throne brought to his right side for his mother. Here he bows down to greet her when she enters. The mother appears to be very involved in the life of ancient Israel. The mother had a throne and the mighty King Solomon bowed to her. That is wonderful. Just think about the influence of your mother, maybe your grandmother. From a very early age, I noticed my girls using the term mama as they addressed Megan. They would call Megan mama. Don't know where it came from. Don't know how it started, but it was the cutest thing at that time years ago. To hear Abigail saying mama, it was not mommy, mom or mother, but mama. They also wanted their mother more than me at that time, at least. There was a time when Abigail was only a year and a half or two years old when I would uh, go to carry her to bed and she would squirm and wiggle and say, no, I want mama. I want mama to take me to bed. There was a time right after Abby was born, Mercedes was going on two and a half and I thought I'm going to take her and we're going to go look at a tropical fish store together. And we start to head out of Alliance. We live in Alliance then. And she starts crying because mom's not with us. So we turned around. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life, happy children, happy life. We often choose our battles, right? Especially when they're only two. Mothers are more than important, more than insignificant in God's plan, right? So listen to your mother. We see that instruction here. You know, that passage, Proverbs 1, listen to your mother. Another passage, Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. 
And even as I was reviewing this sermon just yesterday, it was more convicting to me. Again, a patriarchal society. Honor your father and mother. The Ten Commandments written about 1400 B.C. 1400 B.C. In a patriarchal society and in God's inspired words to Moses, mothers are included. Honor your father and your mother. There's such an important thought here. It is interesting, by the way, and I had to restudy up on this recently. Uh, Rome, now in 1400 BC was not Rome, but Rome later on in the first century, which would be the New Testament, considered the traditional family to be a secret to their success. They valued the family. They did not want any religious system or any system to usurp that authority. Now, when Rome thought of the family unit, though, it was male headship. The head of the family was critical. And, and in a way, in a very real, real way, when Paul gave instructions in the household much later in Ephesians 5 and 6 and Colossians 3, Paul was a little bit subversive. Because in Ephesians 5.21, Paul said, submit to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. Then he goes to the husband and the wife. And then he goes to the children. And then he goes to the slave. And in that way, he was following the same teachings of Aristotle in order but he started with submit to one another. Rome cared about the, the, the traditional family, which to them was totally, completely male-dominated. But way before then, 1400 BC, we have honor your father and your mother. And there's an important thought here. And I like the teachings of John Piper. He wrote this. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do we believe that? In other words, Piper says, if we ask what's the basis and beginning and integrating theme of a father and mother's teaching to their children? What is the basis, the most important integrating theme of a father and mother's teaching to their children? What is it that runs through all their daily modeling and counseling and explaining and correcting and discipling that give unity and meaning to it all? The answer ought to be the fear of the Lord. I don't think it is, though. I don't even think it is in Christian homes. That's not what Piper's saying. That's what I'm saying. You can blame me for that one. Don't blame Piper. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what the Bible teaches. Piper continues. The family isn't just a place where children learn to hold spoons and walk on two feet and say please and tie shoes and read and look both ways and cut grass and put on makeup and drive a car. The families where all of this and more begins in God is guided by God's word. It is shown to be for the glory of God, the fear of God, the reverencing of God, the standing in awe of God, the trusting of God is what families are for. The family is God's idea. The family is a school and the unifying theme in the curriculum of this school is God's, is God. The unifying theme of the curriculum is God. I ask you a question. Is that the theme you strive for? Meantimes, it is the mother, not the father, leading a family spiritually, saying, let's get up, let's go to church, let's go to Bible, say, let's go to children's ministry, let's go to youth ministry, let's go to this, let's take this serious, let's read our Bible. One of the problems with today's society is we've isolated Bible reading to the home, so we think reading it in the home is equal to reading in the church, and it is not. Now, I'm not saying that's not equal to the preaching. I'm saying it's not equal to the church, small groups, Sunday school, Bible study, 
community groups. That is critical, and through most of human history, they recognize that better than our individualistic society today. We need that community, that organic, holistic community. That's why Piper's words are, are so often, sometimes what we think is most important in rearing and raising our children is not what the Bible teaches the fear of the Lord, the teaching of the spiritual matters, the leading with respect to the spiritual matters are what's most important. It's not the, all the extracurriculars. It's not even a great education, which I'm all for. It's not, it's not any of that. All that falls under the fear of the Lord. As I've said, as I think about this, I notice that many times it's a mother who teaches the fear of the Lord. It's a mother who encourages Bible reading and prayer. And I believe there are so many things we can learn from our mothers that we really may not even think of. I remember learning how to spell certain words for my mother. But I also remember my mother being the catalyst for going to church, not my father. Interesting thing is that as we look at Proverbs Wisdom is personified as a woman. You ever think about that? In the Proverbs, wisdom is personified, not as a man, as a woman. So we are to listen to our mother's instructions like we listen to the Proverbs. You know, I know for many of you, your mother has passed away. And, and I would say honor her today by considering, thinking on, journaling, listening to her instructions. What are some significant things that your mother taught you that you want to emulate? Or maybe it's not your mother. Maybe it's a grandmother. Maybe it's another maternal influence. Maybe it's all of the above. So what's in a name? What's in a name? Mom, mother, mama. I believe that is the most powerful name on earth. If we see who shapes society more than any other person, I believe it is the mother. Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The very beginning of the second of his pastoral epistles, Second Timothy, or at least a second of those to Timothy. Titus was probably written in between. But he says this. He says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Isn't that powerful? Now, let me put that in context a little bit more. This is what's called the pastoral epistles. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul left Timothy to pastor the church in Ephesus while he went, you know, planting other churches and such. And Timothy, we have, we have studied for the last 2,000 years of church history, we have studied these letters about how to model a church. Paul's given us so many doctrinal and very, very, very important instructions for the church in these letters. And where did Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, and where did Timothy get the instructions in his faith? From his mother and grandmother. From his mother and grandmother. I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure there is in you as well. It's from his mother, from his grandmother. Later on in chapter 3, if you go two chapters later to chapter 3, Paul says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Where did Timothy learn them? You have to, this is where scripture correlates. This is where cross-reference talk comes in. This is what we just talked about in Sunday school, by the way. Correlates, you go back to chapter one. He learned them from his mother and grandmother. And Paul is telling him, exhorting him, continue in the things you have learned, knowing from whom you've learned them. 
your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. Paul continues, in that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. How has he known the Holy Scriptures? Because his mother taught them to him. His grandmother taught them to her. Paul continues, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. From childhood, Timothy has learned the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give him the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And how did he learn those Holy Scriptures? From his mother and grandmother. By the way, this is 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. And if you were raised or taught through certain scripture memory, or hopefully you teach your kids certain scripture memory because it allows you to ruminate on them, meditate on them, two verses we often memorize are the next two verses. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, reproving, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. Those two verses come right after Paul is giving tribute to Timothy's mother and grandmother who taught him. Maybe for many of you, you could say the same thing. You could think of your mother, your grandmother, maybe a, a woman teacher, or youth leader, or Sunday school leader, or children's teacher, or someone else who modeled and taught you the faith so great you can still give tribute to her. It's a remarkable testimony. Timothy's father was a Greek. We see that in Acts 16.3. He probably didn't know the scriptures. Timothy's father probably did not know the scriptures. So Paul celebrates the great heritage that Timothy has to his mother and his grandmother. They did, his, they did what his father could not or would not do. They filled him. His mother and his grandmother filled him with the scriptures. And the scriptures brought him eventually to faith in Christ. And faith in Christ brought him salvation. Timothy will live forever and ever because his mother and his grandmother were faithful to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. What's in a name? What's in a name? Mother, Mama, Mommy. Proverbs 1 8 says to listen to your mother's teaching. Solomon honored his mother, placing a throne right beside him, bowing to her as she entered. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says to honor your father and your mother. And we see the example of Timothy and the faith that came down to him from his mother and his grandmother. So for all of us, respect our mothers, listen to our mothers, honor our mothers. The name mother is powerful. And the sub-message underneath this is Lead our children spiritually. The most important teaching is not how to cook or clean or read or write, which are very, very important. It's not how to play a sport, which can be a little bit important, but in the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter. The most important thinking, the most important teaching is eternal. Because at the end of the day, God's going to call us all home. Ten out of ten people will die. Sorry if I shocked you with that statistic. Ten out of ten. And the most important thing is, do we know Jesus as Lord and Savior? 
and not a one-time prayer. Too many times we make that gospel tract prayer like it's a magical formula, like you could get out of Harry Potter. No. Do you know Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Are you living for Jesus? Are you an apprentice of Jesus? And are you modeling that for your children? That is the most important. Not even asking, are you going to serve at the rescue mission or pregnancy help center? We had a walk yesterday and, uh, and all these other things. Are you serving on mission trips? Anybody can do that for a week or two of the year. No, do you have a relationship with Jesus that's in your own life and in your church life? It's individual and corporate. It's in your own life and you nurture that relationship in the community of the body of Christ. And you have that year round and are you modeling that for your children? Are you teaching your children? Many times it's mothers that do that way better than fathers. That is the most important teaching. That is the most important instruction. Someday we will all stand before God and he's not gonna ask you to say a sinner's prayer. He's not gonna ask you to give to the church. He's not gonna ask you to serve at certain events. He's not gonna ask you to go to church just to check it off the box. He's gonna ask you to know Jesus. Because in knowing Jesus, our sins are forgiven, our sins are taken care of. We have, eter- we have a fuller life now and eternal life later. If you don't have the fullness of life now, you may not have the eternal life later. I said maybe, because we all have different struggles and hearts and habits and hangups. Are we working on them? And Jesus gives us both. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. John 15, Jesus says, he is the vine, we are the branches. We are to be connected to the vine. John 15, 4, he says to abide in him. John 15, 5, he says, apart from him, we can do nothing. Do we know Jesus? And if you don't, I encourage you to repent today. If you're strayed from Jesus, I encourage you to repent today. And I encourage you to tell your children that too. The greatest thing we can give to our children is humility and our grandchildren humility. Before I close in prayer, I have to do some, I'm going to do something that I, 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 I never really do. I don't like, usually, I don't like putting things on Facebook like, hey, it's their birthday. Let's honor them because I just don't like I'm not that way, okay? If you do it, that's fine. More power to you, you know, spotlighting, you know, whatever. But I do want to honor today the mothers in my life. I have two mothers in my life, obviously. I have uh, my my mother who raised me and I could not serve ministry in ministry without her. I would, not be in, I would not be here today without my mother, of course, raising me and even to this day uh, cheering me on in the pastoral ministry and certainly caring daily for, um, for her grandchildren and also for my brother who also has cancer and making sure she's helping him and supporting him, taking him to the hospital visits and things like that. And of course, I would not be able to serve in ministry to follow God's call without Megan, the mother of my children, there are so many uh, days when I can just get up, go to early morning meetings or go out in the night to late night meetings uh, or late night pastoral visits or many other things because I know that Megan's taking care of our children and they love her dearly and so do I. And we're also appreciative. And uh, Megan has traveled with me from Dayton to Cincinnati to Alliance to here. And I'm so grateful for her as well as my own mother. And I hope that you all honor the mothers in your life today. Let's close in prayer. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for this day to honor mothers. And more than the day to honor mothers, we thank you, Lord God, for your word, which honors mothers. What we see here in Proverbs 1.8, listen to your mother's teaching. Listen to your mother's instruction. Exodus 20.12, honor your father and your mother. 
wisdom being personified as a woman. In the New Testament example, from Genesis to Revelation, we see the high importance of family. We see the high importance of mothers. May we never, ever forget that because too often men are too quickly to forget that. Too often a society is too quickly to forget that. Lord God, you knew what we needed. You set it up with the family. Lord God, as I said, if anyone here today has strayed from you, may today be the day they repent and turn back to you. Maybe they were committing to you, were organizing their affairs around you, were apprenticing themselves to you, were making your Lord their life, and they've strayed. May today be the day when they repent and turn back to you. Maybe they've always believed, but they're a fan of you on the sidelines. They don't, they're, not, they're not in a relationship with you. They don't really know you. They're not prioritizing you. They're not making you Lord of their life. May today be the day when they really commit to you. Maybe for others, they've never made a first-time commitment. Maybe they thought they were saved because their parents were saved. They thought they inherited the faith. We know, Lord God, that it's not about that. We have to make a commitment to you to make you Lord of our life. You are Lord of all or not Lord at all. Amen. Be glorified and exalted through us in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.